We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Psalm 142, a mascal of David, when he was in a cave, a prayer. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him, I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who will watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray. Father, we ask you now uh, for your help. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us? Would you take uh, your word and would you make it alive to us? Some of us come in this room this morning with deep sorrow. Others of us come with deep joy and a sense of your nearness and presence in our life. Some of us find ourselves sitting in a worship service for the very first time ever and still can't quite believe that we're actually in this room. But God, we are here. All of us were here because you've brought us here and you see us and know us however we come into this room this morning. And that is good news for us because it means that you know what we need to hear and how we need to hear it. And so we pray that you would come and speak to us now in such a way that our lives would be changed. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have been in a series that we're calling Authentic Faith. And we've been working our way through some of the Psalms. And if you're not, if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, the Psalms are comprised of 150 chapters. And each chapter is a prayer. And over the course of these 150 prayers, you would be hard-pressed to not find a single human emotion or a single human situation or experience that the psalmist do not bring before God. The, the psalms, they are deeply honest prayers. And what they teach us is that God does not just want a superficial relationship with you. God wants a deeply authentic relationship with you. It's, it's kind of the difference between dating and marriage. So I was reading this week about some really interesting statistics about how much people misrepresent themselves in their online dating profiles. Do you know that 80% of people with profiles say that they have lied on those profiles? The most common lies are uh, age, height, 50% of men claim to be taller than they are, Weight, women, women lie three times more than men in this area. Uh, people lie about their income. 
about their job title, about pretending to share interests with the other person that they do not have. OMG, I love salsa dancing too. Most people are trying to portray an image of themselves that is smarter, thinner, richer, better looking, and more interesting than they actually are. You see, but in marriage, all of that goes out the window. There is no pretending. There is no hiding. Your spouse sees you for who you are. And that's actually a beautiful thing. God does not want a dating relationship with you. God wants a marriage with you. He doesn't want the unfiltered you. The real God wants a real relationship with the real you. And that is what the Psalms are all about. They teach us how to bring every part of our lives before God. Our anger and our anxiety. Our depression and our despair. Our joy and our joylessness. Our sadness and our cynicism and our shame. And so our our tech, God wants all of it. And our text this morning is all about loneliness. See, what do you, what do, you do with your loneliness? Do, do you know how to bring your loneliness before God? You know, researchers say that we are in the midst of an epidemic of loneliness. And this was true before the pandemic, but it has only gotten worse since. Uh, Vivek Murthy, who's the the current U.S. Surgeon General, he has gone on record as saying that loneliness is a public health crisis on the scale of the opioid epidemic or obesity. And what, what researchers have discovered is loneliness is really bad for you. It is terrible for your health. In fact, there's one study that came out of BYU that says that the risk effects of loneliness and isolation and weak social networks is comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. All right, loneliness is bad for you. And here's the deal, the paradox of modern society is that we are more connected than we have ever been through social media and through technology, but what everybody is saying is loneliness is on the rise. And I will tell you this, I've had more conversations with people in the last two years about loneliness than in my previous 10 years as a pastor. See, I mean, all of us, we struggle with this. And if you actually, if you really know yourself, you begin to trace the ways that you try to cope with loneliness in your life, the ways you try to self-medicate, whether it's through just kind of incessant scrolling or, or, or incessant shopping, or maybe it's through sex, or through substances, or through pornography, or maybe it's just doing everything that you can to avoid solitude. See, we are lonely people who are living in a lonely world. We all experience it to some degree or another. And the question is, Is there anything that can help us? And here's some good news for you this morning. Psalm 142 can be of great help to you in your loneliness. I want to look at three things from this text this morning. We're going to look at the cry of loneliness. 
Then we're going to look at the community that we need in our loneliness. And we're going to look at the end of loneliness. So, so first, the cry of loneliness. Now, something I want you to see in this passage is that David uses the word cry three times. He says in verse 1, I cry aloud to the Lord. He says in verse 5, I cry to you, Lord. And in verse 6, listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. And you see, David's cry tells us that something is going on inside him. There is an anguish, there is an agony, there is a distress. But to understand what is going on inside David, you've got to understand what's going on outside him. So if you look back at this psalm in, in your worship guide, look at the very beginning. We, we printed for you this week the subtitle. Lots of psalms have these little subtitles, and here's the subtitle of Psalm 142. It says, a maskeel, which that simply means a song of David, when he was in the cave. Now this is interesting. David is crying out because he's in a cave, but why is he in a cave? And to really get this, you've got to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 22, which gives us the context of Psalm 142. And here's the context. David had been chosen by God to be the king of Israel. He'd been chosen to be the king, but he's not yet the king. And the current king, who's King Saul, sees David as a threat. And so he orders that David be killed. And so what does David do? He runs. David is on the run. He is fleeing for his life. And where does he flee? He flees in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22 to the cave of Adullam. That's where he's writing this psalm. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a cave? I have been in a cave. Several summers ago, we took a, a family vacation. Uh, we were in Arkansas, of all places. And, uh, you know, they've got this, this cave there that tourists uh, like to go to. We went to this cave. We took an elevator 216 feet below the surface to go to this cave. Do you know what was down there? Nothing. Nothing is down there. It is dark. It is quiet. It is terrifying. The whole time I was thinking, this is vacation. We're on vacation. We need, we need to choose different vacations from now on. I like to be by a pool where it's hot and I can see the sun, not 216 feet below the ground. And listen, it was terrifying. And, and I was there with people. Can you imagine being in a cave all alone? David is in a cave all alone. He is all by himself. He is cut off from his family, from his friends, from his community. And what does he do? He takes out his prayer journal and he writes Psalm 142. And he cries out to God. And look at verse 4 in particular. He cries, look and see there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Friends, that is the cry of loneliness. No one sees me. No one cares about me. No one really knows me. No one loves me. Now, maybe you haven't been in a cave, but we have all been there. 
We have all felt and thought those things. You know, maybe you are single and you want so desperately to be married and you feel so alone. Maybe you're single and you, in this church and you feel called to celibacy and you are so afraid of being alone, of dying alone. Maybe you're married but you're in a hard marriage. You're in a marriage that has no affection and no intimacy. The, the, the person who is supposed to be closest to you doesn't desire you. See, you can, you can be married and still feel very alone. Maybe you have been in this city for years, or maybe you're new, and you feel like no one knows you, no one checks in on you. No one invites you to do things. You know, or, or maybe, you know, David says, no one cares about me. Maybe you have had thoughts like David, and you have thought, if I ended my life right now, would anyone really notice? See, there, is, there are few things, few things in life that are more agonizing than the cry of loneliness. And there's a reason for that, actually. And the reason is because we were not built for loneliness. We were built for relationship. Think about this. Seven times in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God creates, and then he declares that something is good. He creates the plants, and he says, God saw that it was good. He creates the animals, and it says, God saw that it was good. And then it says he creates humanity, and God saw that it was very good. And then the very first not good shows up. You know where it is? It's in Genesis chapter 2. Now you'd think that it would be in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where sin enters into the world, the fall happens, and everything just you know, goes to chaos. You would think Genesis 3 would be the place where God would say that it's not good. But that's not what happens. God looks at, the, the, in Genesis 2, the world is perfect. And Adam is perfect. And he is living in paradise. And he is in perfect relationship with God. And you would think God would look at this and he would say, it is good. But God looks at it and he says, it is not good. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good, why? For man to be alone. Now this should shock us, and it doesn't. Because what God is saying here is, it is not just enough for you to be in relationship with him. See, sometimes we think, all I need is God. No, not even God says that. God says we're actually made to be in relationship with one another. And I love the way that Tim Keller puts this. He says, Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect. Adam was lonely because he was perfect. Adam was lonely because he was like God. And therefore, since he was like God, he had to have someone to love someone to work with, someone to talk to, someone to share with. All of our other problems, our anger, our anxiety, our fear, our cowardice arise out of sin and our imperfections. But loneliness is the one problem you have because you are made in the image of God. We were not made for loneliness. We were made for relationship. We weren't made for the cave we were made for community. 
And that brings us to the second point, which is the community that we need in our loneliness. Now, look what David prays in verse 7. He says, set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. So David is lonely. He's praying in this cave. And how does he end his prayer? He ends it by praying for community, actually. He says, God, put some righteous people around me. Now, (laughs) this is kind of funny because God answers this prayer, actually. But to really understand how God answers it, you got to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 22 again. Because this is what 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2 says. It says that, that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented, that means that they were not happy with King Saul, they gathered around David in the cave and there were about 400 of them. See, this is kind of hilarious because David asked God to send him some people to help him in his time of need. And you know what God does? He sends him a bunch of people who need help. People who are dysfunctional, distressed, and dissatisfied with the world around them. And at the very end of that verse in 1 Samuel, it says that these people gathered around David, listen to this, as their king, and he became their leader. So here's what you have, 400 people who are dissatisfied with the status quo, who are broken and messy, and who are gathered around a new king. You know what that's called? That is called the church. That's what the church is. It's a community of broken, messy people who look at the world and say, this is not the way God made things to be. And we are gathered around our king, King Jesus. And you see, the community that you and I need in our loneliness is the same community that David needed in his loneliness. It is the church. And some of you are like, nah, I don't think so. Is that really the community that I need? Look, I don't want to talk about the church through kind of rose-colored glasses this morning. Let's be honest, but let me just say this. The church is the community that we need because the church is a community, let me give you three reasons. It's a community where you can be most known, most loved, and most healed. It's a community where you can be most known. There was an article in the New York Times about a decade ago, and it was, it was entitled, Why is it hard to make friends over 30? And it talked about the three conditions that sociologists since the 1950s have considered crucial to making close friends. You want to know what they are? Proximity, you got to be close to people. Number two, repeated unplanned interactions. That means time. you got to spend time with people to develop deep friendships. And then number three, and I love this, you need a setting that encourages people to let their guard down and confide in each other. And you see, what is that talking about? It's talking about vulnerability. Every single one of us in this room is looking for a community where we do not have to pretend or hide. 
where we can be honest about who we are and the struggles that we have. And you see, there is no place where you ought to be able to be more honest and more known than the church. And you know why that is? Because it is the community where you can be most loved. No matter who you are, no matter what you have done. See, the the reason that most of us, we think, most of us think the reason we're lonely is because we're too busy. And many of us are. We we need to cut some things out in our schedule. We need to change our, our priorities. We need to prioritize people and relationships and not just career or whatever it is. You see, busyness is a problem, but I don't think it's the main problem. I think that most of us are lonely, not because we are too busy, but because we are too afraid. We are too afraid that if someone really knew us, they would not love us. Honesty does not feel safe. Vulnerability feels very scary. Uh, Philip Yancey, who's a Christian author, tells a story in one of his books about a prostitute in Chicago. And someone said to her, hey, have you thought about going to the church for help? And she said, the church? Why would I go there? I already feel terrible about myself. It's just going to make me feel worse. You see, but it, it, it actually ought to be the exact opposite. The church ought to be the place where you can be most known and most loved. The church is like a recovery group. You know, when you show up to a recovery group, everybody knows why you're there. You're there for the same reason that they're, that they're there. And that is true for every single person that walks through these doors. This is not a community where you belong because you have it all together. It's actually a community where you belong because you know that you don't. That's actually our very first membership vow. The church is a community where we are not bound by common color. We're not bound by common culture. We're not bound by common socioeconomic status or a common political party or or a common sexual orientation. No, we are bound by common need and a common Savior who offers us a common grace and a common love. Church is where you can be most known. And it is where you can be most loved. And it is where you can be most healed. See, David... He's stuck in this cave of loneliness. And some of us here this morning were saying, I I feel stuck and I need some like practical steps out. Well, let me give you two. One of them is surprising and one of them is beautiful. Here's the surprising one. At the very end of 2 Samuel, actually, in chapter 23, David is still in this cave And three of these 400 people who came to him hear him say this. David, he says, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well at Bethlehem. Now, David is not simply thirsty because archaeologists say that there was water all around this cave. David says that he is thirsty for the waters of Bethlehem. That's where David was born. See, David is longing for home, 
But the problem was that Bethlehem was occupied by the enemy Philistines. And so these three people who hear David say this, they risk their lives and they travel 25 miles into enemy territory to bring David back some water. You see, gosh, I wish I had some friends like that. If I had some friends like that, I'd never feel lonely anymore. If I had people who served me like that, I'd never feel lonely anymore. And that is true, and the church ought to be a place where you are being served. But I want to I surprise you a little bit this morning. Here's the application for you, and it is totally counterintuitive. The application is that if you feel lonely, you actually need to go serve someone. You say, no, 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 I'm lonely. I need someone to come serve me. Uh, Stephanie Cacciapo, who teaches at the University of Chicago and has done lots and lots of research on loneliness, she says this, she says, for years, people thought the best thing that you could do for a lonely person is to give them support. But actually, what we found is that it's about receiving and also giving back. So the best thing you can do for someone who is lonely is not to give them help, but to ask them for help. So you give them a sense of worth and a chance to be altruistic. Even if we're getting the best care, we still feel lonely if we can't give something back. You know what the church is? It is a community that God gives to you so that it can be a blessing to you and so that you can be a blessing to it. If you're part of this family, let me ask you a question this morning. Who is God calling you to serve? Whose needs in this community can you help meet spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally? See, are you, are you lonely Serve someone. It is part of the means that God has given to us to actually heal our loneliness. Now, that's a surprising thing. Here's the beautiful thing. This cave becomes a place of transformation. These 400 people who went into that cave distressed and dysfunctional and terribly broken, you know what, you know what the Bible calls them when they come out of the cave? They become known as David's mighty men. They go into the cave weak, and they come out strong. They came out different. They they were transformed in community. And this is what the church is meant to be in your life. It's a community of people who know you. You can be vulnerable with them because they're going to love you no matter who you are and no matter what you have done. And then they come alongside you to be God's means in your life of transforming you more and more into the image of his son. The church is a community of people who are saying to one another, I see you for who you really are. you You can be honest about your struggles here, and yet I also see the glorious person that God is making you into, and I want to be part of that journey. I want to be part of that. Now, what other community in your life says something that beautiful to you? Your workplace doesn't say that to you. Your book club 
doesn't say that to you? Your, your yoga class doesn't say that to you. No, only the church says that to you. So let me ask you a question. If you really believe this, how would it change your involvement and your connection to this community? See, some of you have been praying, God, I'm lonely and I want you to do something. And I, What if God's answer to that prayer was the church? How would it change your involvement, the way that you initiate with people, the way that you open up to people, the way that you seek to serve other people or seek to serve on a Sunday or get connected to a community group or to one of the many things that's happening this summer. Friends, if, 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 if this is just something that you do for an hour to an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, two to three times a month, if you just kind of show up to receive and to just consume some, some worship and some teaching, I want you to know something. You are missing out on where the greatest gifts that God offers to you for your loneliness. And for those of us who are a part of this church, this, here's something challenging to think about. We have got to constantly be asking ourselves, how are we not being the kind of community where people feel known and loved and transformed? The, the more that we become that kind of community, that is not a kind of place that you've got to argue people to come to. No, no, no. That is a kind of place that people cannot stay away from. All of this, I mean, all of this in Psalm, one, Psalm 142 is incredible. All of that right here, and we could stop right here, but you know what? We would miss the most beautiful part of Psalm 142. That brings us to the last point, which is the end of loneliness. Look at verse 4. David prays, there is no one at my right hand. When you read the Psalms, it talks about the right hand a lot. And when you, what you find in the Psalms is, is that help was always at the right hand. See, David is in anguish. And he is crying out to God and he is saying, God, I am all alone and there is no one to help me. There is no one at my right hand. And maybe you feel that and maybe you've said something similar to God. When you come to the New Testament... God says something similar to us. God says, you may not feel like someone is at your right hand, but there is someone who is at my right hand. You know, the right hand is this little phrase that the New Testament makes a very big deal about. It talks over and over and over again how Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. We, we confess it. Almost every week when we confess our faith together using the Apostles' Creed, we say, I believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, what does that mean? It means everything. It'll change your life and it'll change your loneliness if you get it. Because, listen to this, because Jesus is at the right hand, he can know you. See, Jesus is not in the grave. He's not dead. He's alive. And he ascended to the Father and he sent 
his Holy Spirit so that he can know you and so that you can know him and so that he can always be with you even when you feel like you are alone. Even when you feel like you are alone, Jesus is always with you. Always. He can know you. And because he's at the right hand, he can love you. See, the the New Testament says that Jesus is seated at the right hand. You're like, he's sitting down? What's, what's, What's the big deal about that? No, this is the New Testament's way of saying Jesus has sat down because the work of salvation is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. Not because of anything that you do, but because of everything that he has done for you in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. And that means that God now looks at you and he sees you as perfect and as righteous as he sees Jesus, and you are as just as loved by God the Father as God the Son. It means that God sees you, he sees all the cracked parts about you, even the parts that you don't see, and he embraces you fully, completely, without any hesitation, Because Jesus is at the right hand, he loves you. And because he's at the right hand, he can heal you. The right hand is the place of power and authority. It means that Jesus is a king. But he's not just any king, he is a good king. Because he is channeling all of his energy and all of his power and all of his wisdom and all of his authority for your good and for your transformation and for you to become the person that God made you to be. Right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father knowing you, loving you, and healing you. But do you know what he had to go through to get there? He had to go through a cave, actually. Luke chapter 23, verse 53. After Jesus died, a man named Joseph of Arimathea took his body down from the cross, wrapped it in cloth, and placed him in a tomb cut in the rock. He had to go through a cave. Do you remember, it was about four years ago now, do you remember the story about the boys' soccer team in Thailand who was trapped in a cave? After practice, they they went exploring into this cave that uh, the, the cave system runs for like miles and miles and miles. And they went exploring in this cave. It was 12 boys between the ages of 11 and 16. And while they were in this cave exploring, heavy rains began to flood the cave, and they were pushed further and further and further back into the cave. And for two weeks, for two, almost two weeks, rescuers searched, and they found nothing. And everyone feared the worst until these two British cave divers, who were like the best cave divers in the world, found these boys and their coach 
perched on this little beach two and a half miles deep into the cave. Getting them out was going to be an incredible challenge. How are we going to do it? How are we going to get them out? They thought, well, maybe we can pump water out of the cave. Or maybe we can build a rescue shaft, you know, above them and get them out of the cave. Or maybe we can teach them how to scuba dive so that we can swim them out of the cave. What they realized was none of these things would work, you know. I mean, only an expert could dive in a cave like this. And the next rains were about to come. So time was running out. So here's what they decided. The only way to get these boys out was to put on an oxygen mask on each of these boys, a scuba mask. Sedate them, literally put them to sleep. And then tether each of them individually to a diver. I mean, it was incredibly dangerous. Hardly anybody thought that it would work. It would take hours to get them out. I think like five to six hours to get them out. It would mean going through these narrow passageways that you could barely squeeze a body through. There was no visibility in the water. And everyone survived. Everyone but one. And it wasn't one of the boys. It was actually one of the divers. You see, the reason that they were able to get out of the cave was because he went into the cave. And the wonder of all wonders is that this is the Christian gospel. It's that on the cross, Jesus cried the ultimate cry of loneliness. He had, you know what he got? Silence. He didn't just feel alone. He was all alone. He had always had perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, but on the cross, he lost it. And when he died, they put him into a cave. And you know why he did it? He did it for us. He went into a cave so that three days later he could walk out of a cave and ascend to the Father and so that he could know you and love you and work for your healing. And that is what he is doing right now. I want you to know that what we are invited to see every week when we come to this table is that the person who invites you to this table is the friend that you long for. It is the friend that you were built for. No one has loved you like him. No one will ever love you like him. And if you have never known him as your friend, friends, you can know him today. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are the friend of sinners.
that that's actually who you invite to this table, that the one requirement of this table is that we know that we bring nothing. We bring nothing to merit or deserve friendship with you, and yet you have made a way for us. Would you help us to see that at this table this morning? God, some of us in this room, we, we feel like we are in a cave of loneliness. We feel so stuck and so alone. Would you, in a way that is so mysterious and supernatural, would you come and minister to us right now? Would you help us to know that you are present? Would you help us to know of your love? Would you help us to feel it, to believe it, to experience it? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.